For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Stelzner. This is the podcast for marketers and for business owners who want to know what works with social media. And you're going to love today's show. Today, we're going to explore how social and search are converging with Lee Auden. He's the author of the book, Optimize. And during this interview, we're going to share a killer tip about SlideShare, by the way, that you're going to want to pay attention to. Also in today's show, I'm going to share a really cool tool and a caller question. Let's go ahead and start with the discovery. After untangling a school of anacondas, look what Michael Stelzner found. So... In the last few weeks, we've been having some growing pains at Social Media Examiner, and our website was essentially uh, grinding to a halt. And I came across a really cool tool that helped me kind of get to the core of what the problem was. Now, part of the problem was we had just an outrageous amount of traffic coming into the site. But the other part of the problem, believe it or not, was WordPress plugins. Yes, you've heard that right. Um, and the site that helped me figure out all of this is called gtmetrics.com, G-T-M-E-T-R-I-X.com. What's really cool about this site is you go there and you put in your domain name and it runs an analysis on your site and it tells you how fast it is. It gives it a grade. It tells you how fast the page is loading, the total size of the page, and the important thing, the total number of requests. Now, the total number of requests has to do with uh, requests on the database. And a lot of times, if you have a lot of plugins, they can do lots of requests, which can radically slow down your website. So what I did was I disabled all of our plugins and ran this test. First, I ran the test without disabling the plugins to kind of get a benchmark. Then I opened up another tab and I ran the test again after I disabled all the plugins. And I noticed a radical increase in performance on our site. You should try this too. Then what I did was I systematically started enabling plugins one at a time, especially those that I had a suspicion might be creating the problem. And sure enough, I found one or two plugins that were taking the number of requests and radically increasing them. And I decided to not put those plugins anymore on our site. And all of a sudden, the thing started speeding up enormously. So that's just kind of a cool little tip for you to start experimenting with some of the plugins that you take for granted. And maybe you've even had on your website for years that could be radically reducing the speed. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. Now, what I'd like to do is transition over to today's uh, question from one of our guests. And I'll tell you how you can call in uh, with your questions in just a minute. Fresh off the jungle trail, here's this week's social question. 
Hi Michael, my name is Miranda with Bellflower Communications. You can find us at www.bellflowercommunications.com. First of all, I love the show. Since I found it, I think I've listened to every single podcast twice and I really appreciate it. It's been great for my business. My question has to do with the blog website relationship. I understand the importance of a blog for your business, but then there's also the aspect of wanting to have lots of pages on your website for SEO. So my question is if there's a way to embed your blog into your website to reap the benefits of both. So I look forward to your answer. Thank you so much for all that you do, and I can't wait to hear your next podcast. Thanks, Miranda. Um, Well, this is a wonderful question. Uh, The presumption here is that you've already got a website, but you don't have a blog. So the best thing you can do is you can take something like WordPress and you can add it onto your blog. So it could be something like uh, bellflowercommunications.com slash blog or whatever, whatever, the hap- ha- whatever your domain happens to be. Or in the case of Social Media Examiner, your website could become your blog. So what a lot of people do is they actually have their entire website built on top of WordPress. And WordPress is very, very easy to use. Regardless... I do believe that it is a good idea generally to have your blog and your website integrated if what you're trying to do is attract more search traffic. Um, There's very few circumstances where you want them separated. Those situations where you want them separated generally are when you try to create a different brand. Um, For example, Lee Oden, who I'm going to be interviewing, has a blog that's completely separate from his brand. And... um, Sometimes those situations happen because somebody started a blog and then it took off and it became bigger than their brand. But the ideal situation would be, I think, to try to just add it to your website. And you can get just about any web person to install WordPress. It takes just a few minutes. And then you can simply add it to your website and start creating content. And that fresh content will be search optimized. I hope that answers your question, Miranda. By the way, folks, if you want to get your question answered, all you have to do is submit your question at socialmediaexaminer.com slash voicemail, and you can do that right from your computer. With that, let's transition over to today's interview with Lee. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I am super excited to be joined today by Lee Oden. If you don't know who Lee is, he's the author of an excellent book called Optimize, How to Attract and Engage More Customers by Integrating SEO, social media, and content marketing. He's the CEO of Top Rank Online Marketing and the editor of Marketing Blog Lee. Welcome to the show. Hey, Michael. It's great to be here. So, hey, today Lee and I, we're going to explore what's going on with search and social, and there's been a lot going on right now. And we're also going to uh, take a look at maybe some content marketing ideas. So, Lee, um, perhaps one of the biggest things that's happening right now with the search and social frontier is what's been going on with Facebook and Facebook's jump, if you will. And I'm sure it's probably just their first salvo into the search space with graph search. What are you, what are your thoughts on, on, on graph search and maybe what Facebook is doing? Well, I think that, uh, Facebook with it's mostly gated content is always thought of itself as creating its own version of the internet. You know, so uh, a more robust search engine than what they were doing with Bing before was was inevitable. Um, and, and I think right now, as a initial offering, that's not out to everybody. In fact, I just got access just uh, three or four days ago. I think they're collecting a lot of data 
And, and as graph search gets rolled out to more and more people, they're going to refine and optimize how it actually works, you know, in its ability to be useful. And companies like Facebook don't do these things just for a better user experience. Of course, there's an ad play, obviously. So I think that's really the driver, providing marketers other opportunities to get in front of people, get in front of audiences, and offering contextual advertising in the way that Google does is certainly, I think, uh, something fake Facebook will, will, will implement. Um, I think there's a lot of issues that have come up, like especially initially some of these crazy privacy and embarrassing things that you can discover about people, not only in your own network, but in the uh, Facebook graph uh, at large. And if you've seen some of those articles, uh, people in a relationship who like adultery or people whose employer is prostitute, stuff like that is pretty crazy. That's insane. Talk to me a little bit about the relationship that Facebook had with Bing and what it was like back then, just for those that maybe aren't familiar. So in doing a search on Facebook previously, or for folks who have not had graph search implemented, you'll be given search results that come from Facebook's own sort of data set, meaning Facebook fan pages, profiles, uh, groups, events, and stuff like that. And then if Facebook can't find what you're looking for there, they will alternatively or in addition to provide search results from Bing. So the basic, um, you know, the Bing engine applied to Facebook or Bing algorithm uh, or technology applied to uh, to Facebook is what folks have traditionally used. And Facebook is still working with Bing, but the search results set is, is, uh, is a lot different. And certainly the filtering options are way, way more robust. Do you think that... Um I mean, I'm just thinking out loud here a little bit, but I know that when I'm on Facebook, I don't really use their search capability that often. Um, it's mostly I go on there to see what's in the newsfeed. I'm a exactly. Man, I mean, I think that's yeah. Go I agree. ahead. And th- th- this is an interesting thing in the the, nor- the narrative of search and social. And people are looking for what's the one thing. What's what's the one thing that's going to exemplify the experience for users? And I think it's a bit simplistic to do that. Um, like you say, uh, we go to Facebook and we look at the feed or if we might ask questions and we do certain things in a social environment or social media, social network environment. Um, but we want to find something specific. We go to, we go to Google, you know, right. and as a marketer, I think it's important to understand customer journey and, and understand what their experience is, knowing that it's not so simple as to say in a linear fashion, Someone will go to Facebook, search for what they want, and go buy something or, or whatever. Um, oftentimes, an idea is surfaced on Facebook, and to validate that idea, they'll go over to Google expecting to find something tangible, something specific that they can act on. You know, this is interesting because this Facebook um, search capability kind of is what Facebook has always provided to advertisers, right? Because they've always allowed exactly. they've always allowed advertisers to target using the demographic data inside of people's individual profiles to, to deliver up ads. And it sounds like what they've done is they've just kind of decided to turn this into a consumer product um, with some existing functionality that already exists. And I guess, you know, the interesting question that you alluded to earlier is where is it going to go and how are they going to somehow use this? I'm guessing somehow this is going to eventually jump off of Facebook, don't you think? And not just be on Facebook. Well, there's graph graph uh, search has API access, so I you know folks have been using graph access to provide 
public Facebook information already. Um, but I think you're right. I think we'll see more data, more public data, more public information used in interesting ways as a result of uh, graph search and graph search API. Let's you talk. Know, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think it's just interesting, you know, um, and the way that Google Plus, for example, is capturing, you know, a lot of the rich data of social interactions so that they can use to better inform what a search engine experience would be like. I, I think that's what Facebook Graph might do in terms of an implication in using what it is that people are searching for, for those who do use Facebook Graph search, that they could actually use that cumulative data to create a better social experience. Yeah, let's talk about Google for a second because that's kind of really where I wanted to go with my next question. Can you explain how Google is using its um, social network, Google Plus, to impact the results that um, you know consumers see? And what's the implication for marketers? Well, I think you know everything from any so- public social content that's being crawled by Googlebot to you know the literal integration of Google Plus and and the important and authorship, uh, you know, the association between where you're publishing on the web and a Google Plus profile into search results are all things marketers need to to consider. It's vir- it's virtually impossible to, you know, employ a successful organic search optimization effort without robust social content or a robust social presence. So those sort of social signals have eclipsed, you know, signals like links. As an example, I think links are still important, but I think when you look at simplifying SEO best practices, we're not just talking about content, keywords, and links. We have to equally include the importance of social content and social signals. So I think some things that marketers really need to focus on is, number one, that you really need to understand the search results landscape for your key search terms. And to what degree is social content competing with your content? Lee, let me pause uh, this, you there for a second. Can you give an example? Yeah. Give an example of how social is impacting the search results. So when we're logged in, for example, your network and what they've liked uh, from a Google Plus standpoint can influence search results. If I search on the word Mustang, and all my friends like horses and I like horses, then the chances of my search results being flavored with horse content is going to be greater than car content. Ah, interesting. I know that's really simplifying it, but that's an example. Gotcha. And is it true that the default search um, is now on Google set to uh, the personalized, you know, there's like that one with the world and then there's one with kind of your personalized results. Is it is it true that the default position for those that do have social accounts is to show social optimized search results? Yeah, I think you have to opt. It's an opt out kind of thing. So, you so know, that's uh, a that's a radical change for a lot of marketers, right? Because the good old fashioned days of um, just doing a couple things and, and hoping you get up in the top 10 no longer necessarily applies, right? Every every search result experience could be unique. You know, in fact, it will be unique because of geography and whether you're logged in or not. And if you are logged in, then your past search history, the things that you've interacted with your social networks uh, on Google, uh, all those things can play into customizing your your search results. So 
the idea of anticipating based on your experience, how you're doing in search will be an indicator of how your customers will experience that search um, situation is, is it's just not it's just not the same. We can get close, but it's just not what it used to be at all. You're right. So as a marketer, you and I both are marketers. How can we influence the likelihood that whatever it is we are trying to get up in the ranks is actually getting up in the ranks? I think we still have to execute standard SEO best practices. We've got to make it easy for Google technically to find and crawl our content. Our website content does need to be organized in a logical, easy to understand way. And if you want to be known for something, then be specific about it. That manifests as, you know, uh, content that will rise to the top and make sure that it's interesting, compelling and shareable, easy to share. Really, a lot of optimization is about making things easier, easier for Google and also easier for people to consume, easy for them to share. So what marketers need to do is standard SEO best practices, but at the same time, robust, interactive, proactive social participation Uh, creating content, promoting content on the social web, interacting with others that are topically relevant and building up the authority of themselves as an author. And, you know, I'll just throw in my thoughts here, Lee, uh, from a practical, tactical perspective, something as simple as taking the dig, dig, that's D-I-G-G, D-I-G-G plugin into your blog and having it be persistent on the page so that people can easily share your content to the social networks that they belong to, I would imagine um, is going to have a big impact, right? Because that's going to allow more people to essentially kind of trigger into the social graphs, if you will, that they have interest in this kind of content, which will maybe make a bigger footprint somehow. Sure, sure. Um, You know, adding that widget to your content is going to make it more top of mind and easier for people to respond to your content by sharing it with others promoting, if, if Google Plus is really where you think your market is or you really want to accentuate the social impact on on search, then you would really emphasize Google Plus, not only from the widget standpoint, but also interacting with people there. Mm. So le- is the idea of search engine optimization really dead? Are we really optimizing for people now? Well, I think it's important to understand what you're doing in the context of who you're trying to impact. Um, Google, the last time I checked, didn't pay my mortgage last month. Google didn't, you know, pay for my kids' tuition. It's 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 the results and performance and sales that do, and it's people that make, you know, give, give that money. So um, I know one major shift that we've made probably five years ago was to really start to understand the interests and goals, um, the pain points of the target audience that we're marketing to, and as we understand what they're interested in, um, we you know create profiles and then use keyword research as a manifestation of understanding what they want to do the optimization. Whereas traditionally, what SEOs will do is they'll just go to a Google AdWords keyword tool, pop in some cert- uh, cert- some uh, you know keywords that represent what the company does, and just go after the most popular search phrases. And it, what good does it do to rank really high for something then when the consumer interacts with it, it's not compelling and engaging to them. Rather, what 
is alive with SEO is this idea of understanding who your customers are and what they want, creating content that moves them along the sales cycle so that when they find it, they're sitting there thinking, yeah, that's what I was looking for. It is really interesting how social has really just radically changed the way we find and discover information. And there, there is this great connection. You first got to create something really spectacular, right? Some sort of content that people love and that they'll want to consume. And then you know that a subsegment of them will share it. And you know that as more people consume it, more people share it, and it, then there's more likely that it will be more discoverable. It's kind of like this circle, and it's all kind of connected, isn't it? It is. It is. So let's talk about the future, because obviously with Facebook getting into um, search um, and Google getting into social, <laughs> we're starting to see some convergence stuff going on here. So where do you see in the next year or two things heading when it comes to this convergence of search and social? Well, can you imagine if Facebook bought Google? Oh my gosh, I can't. <laughs> I mean, it's a little it's a little scary to think about that kind of thing, but I, I don't know. I, I it, it seems like to me that you have to wonder to what degree consumer behavior is driving innovation or is it all about monetization? And as you look at platforms like you know Apple, Amazon, um, and and Google and, and Facebook, you know they're driven by you know creating value for shareholders and, and, and monetization. And, and innovation happens at some level to create a better user experience. Otherwise, people won't come to your site and, and use you. But um, at the same time, you know, they are driven by the needs to, um, to gener- generate revenue. So the future, I think, is an interesting one. And I wonder whether there comes to be a point at which you know, consumers get really dissatisfied or will they become more like sheep? Like, for example, dissatisfied in that, um, well, you know, if you don't like something, you don't use it. Right. And can something really be so useful that you will compromise your privacy? And 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 I wonder, I really, really wonder about that. And I think if people do come to accept the fact that, you know what, everything's out there, um, then we'll see Facebook uh, become, I think, maybe more of a destination I think if Google doesn't uh, focus on, you know, continue to make search and uh, part of, of what it stands for and what it is and the experience that it provides that, um, I, I don't know. I don't know if, uh, if, if the growth opportunity for Google will continue to be what it has been. You know, it's really intriguing if you think about Google and the grand scope of all they offer. Um, Google has Google Docs and they have Gmail and they've got maps and they've got all these things that we rely on that are integrated into our daily lives and that are free and mm-hmm. that essentially are disrupting, if you will, other business models. And um, YouTube, a lot of people forget about YouTube being owned by Google. Mm-hmm. Um, Google has been giving away incredibly valuable content for years and becoming a destin. It's, it's always really been not just a search engine, but a, uh, a destination, if you will, for lots of things, right? Like, for example, sharing spreadsheets or, um, you know, um, sharing videos and so on and so forth. Facebook has kind of a, it's still kind of a one trick pony in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. And um, it seems like Google's business plan all along has been to create kind of water holes, you know, where people come together and do stuff and, um, and lots of stuff. And it seems like Facebook isn't doing that right now. I'm just curious 
you know, they are in some regards, but they're not in other regards. What are your thoughts on that? So if Google can't make money on things that are free, I, I, you know, I mean, what's funding all that free stuff? What's funding all those water holes? Yeah. And the success of their ability to fund those water holes will, you know, is, is, is pretty important. What if Facebook does partner with Microsoft, for example, and starts to offer the, some of the things that uh, Google is offering? That, that would be an interesting thing. I don't know if I'd be interested in that myself, right. but because I, I do use all those Google services you mentioned. I like using Google services in that way, right. but I'm also cognizant that nothing is for free. Good point. Well, I, I think that um, to simply say that uh, search and social seem to be evolving is is an understatement, and uh, it's going to be real exciting to see where it goes and and whether or not maybe voice is going to be a bigger part of it and locate location and all that kind of fun stuff. So it's definitely an exciting, exciting future. Um, let's talk a little bit about content. Um, I know that you are a big proponent of content and content marketing. Where do you, um, what are your thoughts on the current state of content marketing from a marketer's perspective and, and what you think are kind of the, the trends in the world of content marketing? Well, you know, companies have been marketing with content, obviously, for, for a really long time. And um, the notion has been popularized in the last couple of years. Um, content, obviously, is the reason search engines exist in the first place. Content is often the outcome of sharing on the social web. And companies creating content specifically for marketing or branded content, custom content, and that sort of thing is as old as, you know, you've heard the examples from the late 1800s, the John Deere or whatever. Right. There's been, in my mind, a perversion of the notion of content marketing lately by a lot of opportunists. And uh, it's really sad to see because I've seen the same thing happen with social media and SEO, you know, eight years ago or whatever. Um, And people are doing other things under the umbrella or name of content marketing. It's it. and, And that's unfortunate, I think. What, um, let's hear your definition of what you think it, it is from, from, you know, what it should be ideally. I think content marketing is a thoughtful uh, creation of information that is specific to the information needs and goals of a certain audience. And it's designed to guide them through sort of the sales cycle, guide them to the next logical step to a particular outcome. That's what I think content marketing is, whereas a lot of other folks just think of it as creating more information, creating infographics, creating more white papers, more web pages, whatever. And it's not just more. It's meaningful. Right. I absolutely agree. Um, what, are, what are some of the content marketing ideas that you have been um, working with some of your clients on or for your own business that seem to be working now? We'd like to look at a, a mix of four different types of content, evergreen content that's timeless, and that's very SEO friendly kind of content because over time it attracts a lot of links and social shares. For example, um, we also, we'll say again. Can you give a quick example of the evergreen kind of content? Evergreen content. So like um, information about um, how, like in our case, how to buy, fr- uh, how to get more out of an agency. Gotcha. That, that's always going to be true, right? Yep. Uh, best practices for managing your time as a marketer. Um, we, we're starting, uh, or, or there, there's a day in the life of, and then a, uh, of a particular job role at a company that represents who our target audience is and giving them best practices advice. A lot of white papers, sure. position papers, and that sort of thing would be evergreen 
Um, also co-created content. That's my favorite. Um, yeah, explain that, that is, one a little bit. Uh, example would be like, you know, we talked about uh, at Content Marketing World, that ebook or visual ebook that we did. Um, did another one for, for Marketing Pros where we're working together with other individuals or other companies to create content together. And as a result, by making something awesome and cool like that, but also has multiple participants, each is invested in promoting the success of that content. And everybody working together makes it more successful. It gives it better distribution. And really, in that case of a co-created content object, everybody wins. So tell us what you did with Content Marketing World, just so folks can understand. Um, well, Joe asked us to, to help promote the conference, and so we decided to interview the speakers and create a collection of practical tips that the attendees could download or, or receive um, as a benefit of ad- uh, being at the event. We thought that would give speakers an incentive to promote their own tips and representation in the ebook. It would also give speakers some association with the conference and like, hey, that's great to speak at Content Marketing World because they do this extra ebook thing that gives me extra exposure that other events don't do. Um, what were the re- yeah, share the results on a, that. Say again? Sorry, share the results. I'd love because I remember uh, they were pretty yeah. phenomenal. Um, so we did it uh, quickly and um, it, there were over 40,000 views. It made the homepage of uh, a slide share and was made slide share presentation of the day, week and month within a couple of days. And we had thousands and thousands of PDF downloads. Um, the interviews were viewed, thousands and thousands of views, thousands of social shares. I mean, it just, a lot of people consumed it. In fact, other speakers mentioned it at the conference. And uh, it, it, was, it really was a, a successful thing to do. And it didn't take a lot of resources. It was a little bit from a lot of different people. Let me go down the slide share rabbit trail just for a second with you, Lee. Um, a lot of people listening right now are not using SlideShare in any kind of a marketing perspective or, or way. Can you kind of share why you chose to host it up on SlideShare instead of just simply having it as a blog post? Well, SlideShare has a robust audience of its own. The content published on SlideShare does a good job of showing up in the Google search results. Um, people follow our account on SlideShare. So when we upload a PowerPoint presentation there, there's an opportunity for it to be featured on the popular homepage of slideshare.net itself. At the same time, whenever we upload something, the people following us on slideshare get an email saying, hey, top rank has uploaded new content to slideshare. So that's independent of search or social or, or anything, and it drives traffic to the presentation. Within the presentation itself, Obviously, you can experience it as you do, but you can also have gates. So you can, and we didn't in this case, but um, where you can solicit people for contact information, for example, if they want to receive more uh, notifications of presentations like this or get more information about your services. Wow. So it it can use for lead generation then? Yes, it is. That's phenomenal. Now, um, SlideShare was acquired by uh, LinkedIn, to the best of my knowledge. Has it changed much since the acquisition? Easier integration with LinkedIn. If if you've got an active LinkedIn presence, adding a LinkedIn or adding the SlideShare app to your LinkedIn feed is a very smart thing to do. Now, Lee, um, one of the questions people might be listening to right now is uh, might be thinking about is okay, that's really cool, but how does that help my blog and my SEO if I want to try to drive traffic there, or is there a way to connect these things together? Yep. And I appreciate you asking that question because I didn't mention that. And the embeddable nature of SlideShare uh, decks uh, or presentations in the way that you can embed a power, uh, excuse me, a YouTube video onto right. a blog post. Um, 
embellishing on a blog post with an embedded SlideShare presentation is a great way to add uh, a rich experience to your otherwise text and image-only content. Um, in fact, we've embed, we embed uh, SlideShare presentations that other people have done into our blog posts to add some uh, richness to it, not just our own. And uh, it gives people a reason to come and, and, and visit your site. Well, um, I know that those are only two of the different kinds of content. Um, I guess one last question was, so we mentioned the evergreen. We mentioned the co-collaboration. I think you said you had two other types of content. Yeah, yep. Um, also curated content. So content that um, is, you know, you collect useful information on the web and add your own flavor, um, kind of like you guys do really, really well at Social Media Examiner. You um, and, and you have the news roundups. Yep. Um, we do something kind of like that, only in a, in a smaller scale, um, where we try to surface information that our own, um, our consultants have found to be useful. And repurposed content is the fourth kind. Basically, we're taking our evergreen content or other kind of content that we're producing and we're finding ways to reuse it and repurpose it to add new value. Now, Lee, um, I want folks to know a little bit more about your blog and I want, obviously your blog is really one of the top blogs. Can you share in your opinion, how long you've been blogging? First of all, nine years. Do you think that, um, part of the reason why your blog has been as successful as it is, is because you've been, um, integrating a lot of obviously great content with SEO strategy. And secondly, can you share a little bit about your blog audience? Well, our, you know, I, I blog as an extension of what I'm thinking about. And as time has gone on, it's uh, effort to create information that's useful to who our target audience might be, whether they be people who would hire us or people who ask me to speak at events or, um, influencers who want to do joint projects together, or even the media, uh, to do things like this interview, for example. And um, it's a result of search, uh, an appreciation of discovery through search, but also through social. And it's something that not just, I'm not the only contributor, of course, I have team members that contribute as well. And it's an agency blog. And meaning that it's, it exists to serve the purpose of the agency in our community, well, what's interesting is that it's become, it, it's perceived as a publisher. Um, you know what I mean? As, yeah, as you're like an industry, a, you're an industry blog, really, in the eyes of a lot of people from the SEO perspective, right? Exactly. And that adds a premium. That adds a premium to my company's brand. And that's tough to do. What and impact do you think it's had on your success? Well, all of our inbound business, all of our business is inbound. We don't employ salespeople and we don't advertise. So... You know, companies like McKesson and HP and Dell and, and others, they, they've come to us. And, I, and if people say, hey, I've read your blog. I saw you speak. Um, we have a project. Are you available? I just gave a presentation to a $22 billion company yesterday, the top 26 performers of this company. Uh, the, and, 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 and they found and heard of us because of the blog or heard of me because of the blog. And to be exposed to those super amazing people yesterday was amazing. Me giving them advice, I, I can't believe that. But uh, I shouldn't say it that way. But, you know, it, it's they felt confident that I'd be able to give them what they wanted because of content found through the blog. Lee, to the person who's listening right now who um, is just kind of getting into the world of content creation and maybe comes from the world of SEO and understands the value of social media, what do you want to say to that person? I think really focus on... The, the people that you're after, the consumers, tactics come and go. 
Shiny objects can be very, very distracting. But if you really make an effort to empathize with who it is that you're trying to do business with and what their experience is like, what can you do to optimize that experience and how they find information, how to optimize how they consume that information, and what can inspire them to take action on that information to do what you want them to do and in a way that everybody wins? And, and, and that, that, that shift in perspective, I think, has been instrumental for us and for a lot of companies that we work with. Lee, I, I want to say thank you um, so much for sharing all your background and insight in today's interview. It's been really, really uh, insightful. Uh, if folks want to learn more about you and your blog and your book or anything else that you've got to share, where would you want to send them? Um, feel free to go to Google, type in Lee Odin, L-E-E-O-D-D-E-N. You can also go to marketingblog.com. And from there, you can find just about anything. And you'll also find over 1.2 million words <laughs> that I've uh, put out there over the last nine years about you know, integrated search and social and, and content marketing. That's one heck of a lot of words, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Lee, thank you so much for um, spending some time with us today on the show. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Michael. I really appreciate it. Well, I hope you got a lot out of that interview. Um, I felt like there was a lot of really great tips, especially that SlideShare one. So, folks, uh, this does bring us to the end of the this week's podcast. Uh, a couple things I want to share with you. You can check out the show notes at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 28. That'll get you all the links and everything that we've spoken about. Also, if you enjoy this show, um, I would love it if you would be willing to visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash love. What that'll do is pre-populate a tweet in your Twitter stream that will help us get the word out about the show. And this does bring us to the end of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. If you enjoy this show, I would be indebted to you if you'd be willing to go over to iTunes and give us a rating and a review. And we've set up a simple link at socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes, all lowercase, which will get you directly to the iTunes page where you can do that. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. And we'll catch you next week. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.